Hey, I'm really excited. We're starting a four-week little mini-series today called Faith, Family, and Finances because those pieces are all kind of tied together. And uh, when we're done with this, we're going to jump into our study of the book of Philippians and so I encourage you to come and be a part. But for the next four weeks, we want to talk about how these places intersect in our life. Now, we know uh, the finances is a huge thing, right? They tell us the number one cause of fights in marriage, the number one cause of divorce, money fights. And you know if you're a family and you're a family of one, finances plays into this. And if you're married, it plays into this. And if you have kids, it plays in. And if you don't have kids, it plays in. And if you're young, it plays in. And if you're old, and it just doesn't matter. It's a big piece. And of course, when we think about the faith side of it, the Bible speaks so much about how do you handle your money. And so obviously we're not going to be exhaustive here. Well, I may exhaust you, but we're not going to be exhaustive biblically on the subject. But one thing I would encourage you, if you have not taken or if you and your spouse, if you're married, have not taken FPU, Financial Peace University. So these connect groups that we talked about earlier, some of them are that class. It's nine weeks. I, would, I just would almost beg you. In fact, when people come and they want me to marry them, that's part of premarital counseling. They've got to go through FPU. It's such an important piece. If you're willing to learn, you're willing to submit to a plan, man, it will change your life. But this is such an important piece. And I was looking at just some numbers and... Uh, came across a couple graphs that I thought, man, if that doesn't explain some of the issue that we have, this first one is this. This is a, a graph of credit card. It's not like all consumer debt, but credit card, revolving charge. So your Target card, the Lowe's card, you know, MasterCard, Visa. And for those of us who are old enough to remember, do you remember 2008 and what happened there? Yeah, that was, a, that was a pretty significant economic slowdown. And you'll notice that we had just crossed over that $1 trillion in credit card revolving debt when all of a sudden, now you see it went down dramatically. Now, part of the reason it went down dramatically, for those of us who lived through that, realized that uh, they wouldn't give you credit anymore. And that's one of the reasons it shrunk. But we also kind of realized, hey, maybe having all this credit card debt wasn't so good. And we lived that way for two, three, four years. Notice it only goes to 2016, but you can see the trajectory. I came across an article. It was written back in September. I have not, they haven't, I don't think they've released the number yet. But in, uh, excuse me, I said September. It was actually in June. But they were projecting that by the end of 2018 that all consumer debt was actually going to crest $4 trillion in the U.S., now, the backside of that, there's, a, there's another interesting little graph here I thought I would show you, which is the savings rate. So amount of I- income in a family that gets put into savings. And you look way back in 1970, and I know some of you weren't developing eyelids by then, but others of us can remember back, but most families would save just under 12% of what came in. And then it continued to plunge. Did you notice where the low point is? Is kind of heading into 2008. Hmm, maybe there's a trend here. 
And in 2008, when savings was so low and the economy burped really, really big and lots of people got, got in trouble. And all of a sudden, you'll notice that all of a sudden we realize maybe it's a good idea to save again. You know, having a little money in the, in the rainy day fund it would be helpful. And so savings rate went up. But notice what's happening again. It's just dropping, dropping, dropping. So it's a significant issue. Next week, we're going to be really practical. How do you work a plan? Uh, The week after that, we're going to talk about family. For those of you that have kids, you know, because there's a whole part of this is kind of monkey see, monkey do, right? You know, so we have the added responsibility. and, And in our culture, in fact, by the way, I'm just going to tell you now, that Sunday, I'm going to be very counterculture in what I say. So if you like that, come. If you hate that and you're going to be mad at me, come anyway. So then at least you'll know what you'll be mad about. And then finally, the last week, we're going to talk about generosity. Because generosity really isn't so important for the person who receives it. But it is very important for the person who gives it. So that's what we're going to talk about. But this morning, I want to start with almost a philosophic background to this. In fact, the scripture we're going to look at is found in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bible, you have your Bible app. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be. But I want to talk about know your why. And to me, this is so fundamental. This, this, is, this is, first of all, it is the foundation for relationships growing and developing and maturing and, and, and continuing on a good course. It is the foundation of, of finances. You've got to know your why. Why do you sacrifice? Why do you save? Why do, why do you have a plan? But it also is crucial to our faith because we are told that this is the way that we are to live. You've got to know your why. Why? Because your why is your dream And your dream is your hope. So if you're in Hebrews chapter 12, if you're not familiar with the passage, Hebrews 11 is that great hall of faith. All of these great men and women of God in the Old Testament and how they lived. And now we we transition in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus came because he had a why. There was a joy that was set before him, and that's what caused him to go all the way to the cross. And and folks, this is at the heart of why you need to know your why. To live life well, you have to live with hope. You know, we were created in the image of God. I believe the Bible teaches that we are eternal beings, that from the moment of our conception, that our soul and our spirit that was created by the union of that sperm and egg creates an eternal being. We're going to live forever. And that's why eternity is in our heart. And so to have hope, and when people lose hope, and depression sits in. Life is not good. I mean, we have a lot of moms here this morning, and you could probably appreciate this. You know, 
sometimes after a, a mom has a baby, they, they have that, what, postpartum depression, the, the baby blues. Now, obviously, there's a physical cause to that, right? All the hormones that have been running amok with having this baby in you, and now it's out, and you're, you're, you're nursing and all this, and that's a part of it. But let's be honest. Part of the, what happens with the postpartum blues is you just lose hope that you're ever going to get two hours of uninterrupted sleep again, right? You know, you know, it's just two hours and it's just never going to happen because that little one just wants you all the time. you got to have hope. you got to have a dream. Hope gives you the motivation to, to move on and not to quit. It gives you the, the motivation to go through the tough stuff. In fact, that's exactly what he's saying here about Jesus. You know, Jesus came. He left the glories of heaven and come to this earth. Why? There was a joy that was set before him. There was something that he could see the other side. It took him to the cross. Bearing our guilt and our shame before his father, it took him through all the pain, the suffering, the shame of standing in our sin. Why? Because there, there was hope. And hope gives you that. And so what's your why? What's your dream? If I could put it another way, it's what, what do you want to do? And where do you want to be in five years or ten years or twenty years? What is that thing that in the future that you look ahead and say, man, that's when I want to be? Because see, here's the thing, folk. Life is a journey, right? Today is a snapshot. Now, it may be a smiling selfie for you today. It may be the no makeup life as I'm as sick as a dog. I don't know where you're at in life today. But life is a journey. Today is a snapshot. And the question of hope becomes, where do you want to be what do you want to be doing? What is that thing that, that excites your heart, that, that God has gifted you to do and to bring to, to this world? You see, it is your hope and your dream that becomes your why. Why do I work hard? Why do I save? Now, I would suggest to you, when you look at the numbers, many people today don't save a whole lot. And could it be it's because they don't know their why? I mean, we all know it's common sense. Make more money than you spend. Live below your means, right? Again, a lot of us don't do it. Could it be that we don't know our why? And so to me, this is where it all starts. So how do you find your why? Well, from a faith perspective, we look to the Word of God. And there's just so much here that we, we could look at and to understand. But at the heart, what I want you to understand and what I don't want to be confused about is that your why, for it to deliver the dream, for it to be that thing that pushes you, you know, like Jesus for the joy that's set before him, he's willing to endure the cross, your why has to be noble. We were created in the image of God. We were given great worth and value. And so it can't, quite honestly, it just can't be about stuff. It can't, it can't be just about getting rich. It can't just be about consumption and acquisition. I mean, that's kind of where hoarders are found. It's, those things will, will never deliver. They'll, they'll never come out the other side. 
Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 2 for those of us that are believers. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to good works, which God has prepared beforehand. That's what we were created to do. So our our why has to be found in what do I give back? What do I invest? How do, how do I give back to this world? How do, I, how do I leave a legacy? What's your why? So it can't just be about getting stuff. It can't just be about amassing the, the big old 401k. It, those things are not noble. What I'm talking about here is purpose. Now, now let me, again, caution that in that there's not really anything wrong with stuff. You know, stuff's okay. There's nothing wrong with having it. That's another, you know, piece, people go to the other side. You should just never have any stuff. No, stuff's okay. Uh, I, I was thinking, you know, this week they've got that big, uh, what, Barrett-Jackson auction. And, and to be honest, I am not an old car guy. That's not my thing. Unless... You're talking about a 1965 Mustang convertible GT. Because that was the best car that was ever made. I mean, it, it, was, it was something. And uh, that, you know, not, in fact, it was funny because I, I happened, it was what it reminded me, I didn't even know what was going on. But I saw a headline that actually is not a convertible. It's a 2 plus 2 fastback but, Mustang 65, but it's the Shelby edition, just sold for $2.2 million. Now, if you're going to have stuff, that would be a nice stuff to have, right? (laughs) And would it be cool? Would it have be fun to be sitting because those things came with racker pipes on them, man. You could sit at the, I mean, they they make a sound. And yeah, it, it would for a day, a week, a month, a year. But joy, that be that, that noble thing for which we're, we're, we're going to save and save and save just so we can buy something. You know, Jesus put it like this. Fix your thing on heavenly stuff. So if I were to build a frame here and say, where do you find your why? The top frame would be this. The top parameter is, well, first of all, it can't just be about stuff. It can't just be about the, the, the earthly piece here. You know, at the heart of who we are as believers, we, we live with the two-world view. This world is not our home. And so when we start trying to figure out our why, it's got to be something that's got some eternal value. It's got to be something that that allows us to to leave a legacy, to make a mark that will outlast us as we invest in others. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Now, he's not talking about don't save, and we'll talk about that more next week. That's not his point. His point is this. Don't let this become your why. Because, I mean, the truth is, I had a 65 Mustang. Now, it was a hard top. It was my first car. I bought it for $125. My dad would tell you it was an accident going someplace to happen. In fact, if you knew anything about them, they had the unibody construction, which was really uh, susceptible to rust. Let me put it nicely. 
In fact, I had a big old hole in my floorboard. I remember one morning I was driving it to school. I was a junior in high school, and, and, and with this hole, you got a pretty good wind. So in the summer, it was nice. It was air-conditioned. <clears throat> uh, in, in the winter, not so nice. Well, it's in the winter. I'm all bundled up, and I'm driving to school, and I see a leaf fly by my foot. It caught my attention. I looked down. It was not a brown leaf. It was a brown mouse who decided not to live in my car and who right now, as I'm driving down the road, is very close to my pant leg. We nearly put it in the ditch. But that's what happens to 65 Mustangs. You see, this is what he's saying. It's got to have some eternal value. It's got to have something that, that, that is noble to it. If I were to buy a, a, build a second parameter here to make this, this window frame of where do I find my why, the second thing I think the Bible would say is, is that remind us that we were created to work. We were created for action, not merely for rest. You know, in America today, we've been sold this idea that, you know, you work hard and you save and you do all this so that you can go on a 30-year vacation at the end of your life. And I, I don't get that. You know, that we're, we're just going to retire and we're going to go play golf. You know, there, and I realize, I'm not a golfer. I get this. But, folks, there's only so much golf you can play. There's only so many restaurants that open up before 4.30, you know, to get there ahead of the crowd. What, and the point is, is anything wrong with retirement? No. Is there anything wrong with playing golf? No. But how do we put those to, to leaving a legacy? Do we maybe start a golf league that's kind of oikos-based, so we're actually using it to build relationships, to share the gospel? Are we taking friends and people that we're meeting out to dinner so that we can have those conversations? The point is, what is your dream? What makes it noble? What is it that excites your heart? When we think about the creation of man... We go back to Genesis, and God told them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And then once you subdue it, rule over it. The fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over every. We were created for work. So is there anything wrong with retirement? No, especially, man, especially if you're in a job that you really don't enjoy. But what's the why? What's the dream? What do you want to do? I mean, you know, and so... Tammy and I have talked about this because I tend to be the planner. Again, it's a little bit of my nature. And, you know, we have been so blessed for 24 years as we've ministered here at Desert Springs. And and we hope that it continues for a long time. But honestly, at some point, either you all are going to get tired of us or there's just going to be the need for the health of the church for some younger leadership. Now, again, I, I hope it's, you know, not tomorrow and I hope it's not for a long time. I love what I do. But that day is going to come. And so what does that look like for us? What is it the things that we love? What is it that we, we would like to invest? And one of the things that we've talked about, we both love the church. We love to think strategically about the church and to help churches move from unhealth to health and to move off mission on to mission. And, you know, and, and as you all give me that opportunity to even help 
other churches within our association and I see that these churches get in trouble. They get on the backside of their life cycle and they don't even know it. And they don't wake up until they've usually run out of resource, both people and, and money. And what they need is they need somebody that will come in and help them. And so we've talked about could we, could we, could our why be that we build our life in such a way that when that day comes that we could offer to go and to be do interim pastor work. And we wouldn't need them to pay us a dime because we would be prepared for that so that we could go wherever God would tell us to go if there was a church that was wanting to turn back on mission. You, you got to know your why because that's the thing that gives you the, the rails to run on. If I could give you a third parameter, it's this. You need to take care of family. That's, that's a big thing. You know, as parents that I provide for my kids. Now, that doesn't mean provide everything they want because little Jimmy's heart sometimes wants stuff that isn't good for them. And we're going to talk about that in two weeks. But I'm talking about the things that are important. And then when we think, and you know, some of us are getting to that point where we've got parents that are on the other end. How, how do we provide? I mean, Paul says in 1 Timothy, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those that are of a household, he's denied the faith, is worse than an unbeliever. It's kind of a strong thing there. So what does that look like? And how do, how do we provide and provide well? And some of that can become part of your why. So, you know, years ago, as Jamie was our, we have three children. He's our oldest. As he's getting towards college, and we had his college taken care of. But it really began to get us thinking about the next two, which we had nothing. And I want to preface this by, and I want to be very clear here. I do not think that part of the gig of parenting is that you pay for your kid's college. I don't. In fact, I know you think it's sometimes it's always that wise to do, okay? So don't go to your parents and say, hey, listen to them. No, I'm telling you, this, it, it's, it's, I don't think it's part of the gig. But for Tammy and I, as we talked about what we wanted, for us, it was something that was important. We wanted to be able to get our kids out of college without any debt. We wanted to be able to do that. Now, it factored into college choice because of where they go is a huge thing and some other things. But for us, for almost 12 years, that became part of our why. Why do we budget the way that we budget? Why do we not do some of the things that we maybe would like to do? Because we had a why that was bigger that, that said that. Now, now that we're past that, you know, now the whole thing becomes, you know, we've got, we got grandchildren. And one of the, the really cool things is, you know, neither one of us grew, around, grew up around extended family. And so for our kids who have grown up with both of our parents and we've seen how they poured into them and now we get to be grandparents. And so how can we do this and how can we, how can we be prepared to help leave a legacy that outlives us as we're able to pour in and give of ourselves to grandkids and even maybe have some of those moments where we can bless them. Got to know your why. The fourth parameter would be just to remember that it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, if you haven't figured it out, our human heart tends to be a bit of a black hole. And when it comes to be all about us, and that's all we're consumed with, our life would just kind of collapse upon itself. 
That's not how we were made. Paul reminds us in Acts chapter 20 that Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So again, is there anything wrong with, with travel? Is there anything wrong with golf? Is there anything wrong with retirement? Is there anything? No. Is there anything? No. But how do we invest that? How, how do we take those things and marry them together? Like, for instance, you like to travel. Awesome. Well, well, what about, what about, could you set it up so that you could go do short-term mission work in different parts of the world that you want to go to? And guess what? You don't have to send letters out shaking down other people to, to pay for it. Because you've planned, it's been your why, so you've got the finances there so that you can go wherever God tells you to go. You can stay as long as God tells you to stay, and you can just give and invest and build legacy in beautiful places around the world that, by the way, you wanted to see too. What's your why? It's a huge thing. Now, before I move on for this, and I know I've kind of given you four, four parameters here to kind of build that, but, but i got to throw one more in for those of you that are married. If you're married, your dream has got to be shared. It can't just be yours. In fact, years ago, I, I figured this out in premarital counseling. You know, that couple comes, and they're all goo-goo-eyed and thinking, oh, man, this is going to be the best marriage ever because we're just so in love, you know. And, yeah, and you know three years down the line what they're going to be saying. But anyway, they're, they're, so they're, really, they're not even really listening to you all that well. And, and at first, when I started, I tried to, tried to basically helped them see all the problems they were going to face, and they, they never got it. And, I, and I, so I changed. Very early on, I changed. And all I try to do in premarital counseling is I try to help them build their whys. Because if you know what your why is, it'll get you through the hard stuff. So what's your dream of the perfect relationship? As you think about what you want this to be and at its very best, and, as you communicate, as you talk, what, what's your dream about the future? What would you guys like to do together? How, how, when you think about kids, what does that look like? What, you know, if you're kids, what kind of relationship? Dream those dreams. Even in that area of sex in your, in your marriage, what do you want that? Make sure that you have the, this shared dream. Because I tell you what, when you have a shared why as a husband and wife, man, it gives you synergy. It, it gives you that idea of, man, we, because, you know, one, one day the kids are going to be out and gone. I think that's one of the reasons, you know, the dream is about kids. Kids get, you know, they get grown and gone, and all of a sudden now it's just the two of us. That's why so many marriages blow up. I don't think they have the why. What, what is it now? What is our dream? How can we do this together? How can we serve and, and invest ourselves together Amos puts it like this, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? And the answer is no. Man, I think, you know, this is a conversation, you don't, you don't solve it in five minutes, you don't solve it in a half hour discussion. I, Tammy and I, in our, our life, we typically try to, once or twice a year, as we're away and it's just the two of us, try to have this. Hey, what about our why? What about our dreams? How are we doing? Is that because here's the thing too, your why may change. Because as you grow, believe it or not, you may get wiser. Are you wiser today than you were the guy the one ten years ago? Yeah. 
You also, God's maybe working on your heart and something that you thought would be really cool later on. You go, well, maybe it's not right there, but it's just right over here. And so you want to continually be developing this in your relationship. Why? And this is really what we're going to deal with next week, and I'll just hit on it really briefly here, and that is your why provides your financial path. When you know your why, now you have, okay, so how do we get there? As I said, it's, it's a journey. Because every dream has a financial piece to it. And everybody who's at least out of college understands that. You know, if, if I'm going to live and I want to have an apartment in this nice place, that has a financial piece to it. If I want to drive this car as opposed to the one I'm driving, there's a financial piece to that. And so once you begin, it helps you to begin to put that plan. And then what you can do, you can say, hey, this is where we'd like to go. And, and this is where we're at today. What's the next step and the next step and the next step? And you can develop that plan along the way to get you to to the dream, to get you to the why. It gives you the reason to get up every morning. It's a job I don't really like, but you know what? I want to do some schooling over here because I'd eventually like to go there, but i got to pay for the schooling. Okay, I don't really like the job, but I'm getting up and going so I can do the schooling. It, it just becomes that piece. And so your dream will help you determine the financial plan. It'll help you figure out a budget. It'll help you think through as a couple where are we going to sacrifice? What are we working towards? And we're doing it together. But I want to finish up back in Hebrews chapter 12. Because to me, this has just so blessed me as I've thought about it this week. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus had an incredibly big Why? I mean, it wasn't just that he wanted to come and die. That wasn't the why. It was something bigger than that. It's what led him to the cross. It's what took him through the beatings. But the why was bigger than that. You see, he was the one who created us to know him, to have relationship with him, to to walk with him in the cool of the evening like he did with Adam and Eve. And then when they rebelled and all man rebelled, that relationship's broken. And, And so for God, the why became you, quite honestly, to have relationship with you. And so he knew the only way that that would work is if he came and he paid our penalty for us. Because we couldn't fix this. And so for him, for the why, to have relationship with us again, it's he had to come. He had to bear our sin. He had to be nailed to the cross and hang between heaven and earth, bearing our guilt and our shame before his father. He's the one who had to walk through a a different relationship now with his father than he had ever known as he hangs on the cross and cries out, my God, my God, why has you forsaken me? Because he was hanging in our sin. But folk, his why, why was you? He loved you. He wanted you to have relationship with him. He wanted to know you that where I am, there you may be also. That, that was his why. That was the dream. That was the hope that everybody who would come to faith in him. They could put so beautifully in John 3.16. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son. That whoever, I love that word. Man, it's not just the righteous. 
is not just the good boys and good girls. It's whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So my question to you today is, have you come to know Jesus? You were his why. That's why he came. I I heard a song put it like this once. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Because you were his why. When he was on the cross, he was there for you. He was paying the penalty. He was making it so that you could know him in a personal way in this life. And then forevermore that you would be with him. But it means we have to come and believe. Now here's, to me, I thought was fascinating because I'd never thought of it in this way. Do you know that to today... Even though we're 2,000 years past the, the fact of Jesus enduring the cross, despising the shame, that today he still has not fully realized the dream. Why? Because you're not there. We're still here. Now, others have gone home. And beyond that, it, it, it's, it's a world where where all things will be. And so, you know, once we go home, you know, there's going to be judgment in a thousand years in which he's going to reign, but then there's going to be another, there's going to be another rebellion. And it is not until we get to Revelation 21 and I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the old ones have passed away and there's no more sun because the lamb is the light thereof. And we live in that place where there is no sickness and no death and no sin and no sorrow. And finally, the dream, the hope, the why will be realized. That's why he came. Do you know him?